power through weakness. If you want to turn in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, I'll read just the first, these three verses, and then we'll just jump off and see what the Lord will say to us. But this is what I'm asking. God, show us the great power of the internal Christ that weakness apprehends in your precious name. Amen. So verse seven, it says, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. <laughs> Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Dave, talk to me. Man, it's, it's uh, where to jump off on it, right? And so I think just maybe if I could just touch on one thing real quick, uh, maybe just some of the backdrop to the, to the book of 2 Corinthians. Paul's writing to a church that he actually found, that he planted. And, you know, we see from the first letter in 1 Corinthians, and scholars will say that 2 Corinthians may be like the third or the fourth letter, probably the fourth letter. We don't have copies of the second and the third, but Paul's writing to these Corinthians and, you know, in first Corinthians and he's dealing and, um, and he's dealing with all kinds of things, you know, sin issues, unity issues, uh, biblical doctrine, uh, teaching and doctrine, laying foundation, speaking about the resurrection. And, and then we find out that they don't necessarily respond well. And then he's grieved in heart. There's a painful, you know, trip that he takes to them. And then there's these others that come around. There's these other apostles or so-called apostles, messengers, teachers that have come around and started to now negate Paul's authority and undermine the foundational apostolic teaching that he's brought about. And so this is the context in which Paul is addressing this. And we see this even in the you know, chapter 11, as it leads into chapter 12, Paul is contrasting his ministry and the way that he follows Christ with these so-called super apostles, whom he actually calls false apostles in chapter 11, who may be preaching the same name, but the way that they follow and the way that they reveal the, the gospel and the kingdom of God within our own human experience is, is, is opposite to that of his, and most importantly, it's opposite to that of the crucified and resurrected Lord. So it's within this context that he's talking about these things. Uh, and then, of course, in chapter 11, you know, he, you know, these guys that have, they, they've discredited him in the eyes of the Corinthians. So now you have a, a group of these people, families that have come to the Lord and have been fathered by Paul spiritually in many different ways that are now rejecting not just Paul, but the gospel that he proclaims. And this is what, what Paul is so jealous over. And it's interesting because apostolic ministry here we see in the first century is not, is not just laying foundational truths, but is becoming heaven's reference point on the earth of a man you could touch and speak with and listen to, and you can observe his life and he himself is a model, certainly an imperfect model, but a model of the Christ living a cruciform life. 
he, he, he can say in an imperfect way, like Jesus says in a perfect way, when you have seen me, you have seen the father. And this is, this is the goal of apostolic ministry is, is, to, is to reveal the Christ. Uh, and so Paul, these guys are, are giving their, their credentials and they're bringing these, letter, these letters and these certificates from Jerusalem and from other places. And in essence, to prove, and they have stories, they have stories of all the things that, you know, the exploits and the feats that they've performed in other places. And, and so they're trying to gain I'm almost in like in a manipulative, maybe not almost, but in a manipulative way, trying to gain the trust of these people and really trying to wow them. They're, they're, they're very well-spoken. Paul himself says, I'm not well-spoken. Very, very fluid in the knowledge of God and the knowledge of the son, both in word and spirit, but not a very good speaker, according to his own testimony. These guys are powerful speakers in a culture that, that, honors powerful speakers and you know philosophers and whatnot these guys look the part they they play the part they got the great stories they got the letters and then paul he doesn't have that you know paul's you know half the time doesn't have a place to live right paul's this like guy you know going all kind of scars beaten he's not very impressive in any kind of a way and uh and when he starts to compare and contrast his credentials with theirs he he flips the uh he flips the script so to speak on them and he refuses to use the same kinds of things that they use to try to gain uh the approval and the applause and the trust of this church the things that he points to are the things that embody jesus and remind us of the life of jesus he points to those things which remind us of the cross of jesus christ and that's the beauty of it. And then, of course, these powerful statements that he's making are made in that setting. It's, so I'll just mention one thing and I'll just throw back to you. So, so the one thing he does say is he says, listen, these men claim to have letters, you know, from whoever, whatever organization that has validated them. He says, uh, of course, earlier in the book, he says, I have a letter. You're my letter <laughs> written by the finger of God. <laughs> right you're the evidence of it right that should be evidence you know but nonetheless he says i know a man who i won't e i won't even name it's clearly speaking about himself who has seen the lord who has been, who has been taken into realms of glory and has seen the lord and to such a degree that he cannot even speak in the earth of the things he has seen in the heavens <laughs> and he says as a result of these glorious encounters and revelations that he's received a thorn was given to him and then of course this is what it leads us into right a thorn was given to him so that he may remain in a place of weakness so all those that catalog of sufferings that he had detailed whether it's beatings or imprisonments or betrayal by friends or by enemies and all those things that he talks about they're all done within this within the context of self-giving sacrificial love it's not just he's hanging out on his own and just like playing Xbox and, you know, like he's, he's, he's in the process of obeying the words of Jesus and giving himself for others so that they would meet Jesus in the spirit and have a reference point for what he's like through watching his life. Mm. And it's in that setting that he suffers and the Lord gives him a thorn. And then we could talk about if you want to, I guess different approaches on what the thorn is, but <laughs> my thoughts on what the thorn is, but it's, it's has a specific purpose, this thorn that he prays for the Lord to remove. And he will not remove because the Lord will not have him become like these others. So what, what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on 
on on just that on the thorn on what the goal of the thorn is what what do you think <laughs> well it's clear he says it twice to keep me from exalting myself to keep me from exalting myself so this thorn has something to do with humility it's clear thorn also the very image is pain it's suffering i don't like getting pricked by thorns Spurgeon sure. wrote, he said, God sent the prick of the thorn to help let out the blood of pride. Wow. <laughs> the prick of the thorn to let out the blood of pride, to keep me from exalting my, whatever the thorn is, which I, I believe he goes on to explain what it is. He names a couple of things. He says, weakness, insults, distresses, persecutions for Christ's sake. So that in and of itself is a pain. It's something felt and it lets out the blood of pride. It keeps him from exalting himself, having seen the third heaven and heard things that men are not able to utter. But he goes on and he's showing us that he addresses God directly about this. I implored the Lord three times, Lord, please take this thorn out of my side, this pain, this suffering. And God doesn't, like you said, take away the thorn. He does something so much better. He shows him that the pain of the external thorn is inferior to the internal power that comes from Christ mm -hmm. himself. And so as John Wesley wrote, God is showing him that his strength is more illustriously displayed in the weakest instruments. <laughs> more Ill illustriously displayed in the weakest instrument. And it seems as if Paul is giving up glorying in his revelations to glory and weakness. He finds more, more of a connection with the internal resonance of Christ's power by the sense of his weakness. It's almost as if a deeper sense of the weakness brings him into a greater experience of, of God's power. And so I, I just look at this and I, I, I think to myself, the power of Christ, as he says, dwelling in him is inseparable from this thorn that makes him weak or keeps him weak. As Spurgeon once wrote about the thorn, he says, Paul's thorn was his sacred medicine. <laughs> a revelation of the grace and power of the internal Christ will end many of our pleas. Uh, so I feel like this is what's even taking place with the, the thorn, no matter what someone would say it is, we know a couple of things. It keeps him humble and it's suffering, but it's inferior to what it taps him into, which is the internal power of a residing Christ on, on the inside. Thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. And his perspective on this as well, because certainly the suffering is happening at the hands of men. Jesus suffered at the hands of men. Some some Bible scholars would, would say that the thorn perhaps was like a like a demonic entity, a demonic spirit. Now, I don't know if that actually was the case or not, but we know that demons inspire and influence people right to, to do all kinds of evil and to and to um, persecute the word with the seed, which is the word. Mm -hmm persecution arises because of the word. And so Paul is experiencing the suffering at the hands of men, but his perspective, he has a different perspective mm -hmm. rather than choosing to look at things with, with natural eyes. He recognizes that this is the chisel of the Lord that is seeking to shape and form and make him into the image of his son so that he can have a greater capacity to 
restore or to host him in, 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 in greater and greater ways from glory to glory. As he actually talks about in this, in this letter, mm-hmm. we are transformed as we behold from glory to glory. And, you know, it's interesting when he talks about these revelations, I, I was, when I was reading this earlier today and thinking about our conversation, I was thinking, and I only saw the first movie of this. I don't know if it's like a five-part series, a four-part series, the Lord of the Ring. I don't know how many series there is, but how many movies in the series, but I, I only saw the first one. It was years ago, but the whole idea, if you, if, if you know what I'm talking about the movie, the whole idea uh, is the one character who I think I forgot his name actually, but the one who wanted the ring, <laughs> the little like disfigured, this, the disfigured figure, he wanted the ring, you know, like he wanted, he wanted this ring, the source of power. But, but what the, what the ring did to him was it, 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 it corrupted him. And so th- these other men, they, they seek, they seek the powers of heaven in their life and in their ministry to advance and promote their own name, their own cause. But they themselves are not transformed by that same power. That, that same power does not reside within. They seek to, to use the powers of heaven to advance a cause that promotes their name, where they use God rather than God uses them. Right. And so the Lord, by his grace and his mercy, allows these challenges and these these difficulties and the word that's used suffering in order to drive him like a nail mm. drives like a, like a, like a nail is driven by a hammer into dependency. That's what God is after dependency. The, 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 the new law that Jesus, that Jesus tells us in a sermon on the Mount begins with the foundational stone that is laid. All mm. the rest of it is laid upon this one foundational stone. How blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is what we're looking at right here. We're looking at poverty of spirit, weakness unto dependency. The reason he is strong when he is weak is because he is removed <laughs> and God takes the throne. God yeah. takes the throne. <laughs> That's incredible. I pulled this story and it's perfect for right now. Uh, this is from a, an illustrations book, but it, it goes like this. It says the mollusk sticking to the smooth water-worn surface of a rock while the long swell of the Atlantic at every pulse sends a huge white billow roaring and hissing and crackling and crunching over it are objects of wonder to the onlooker. He says that apparently supernatural solidity is the most natural thing in the world. It is emptiness that imparts so much strength to this feeble creature a vacuum on the one side within a webbed foot and on the other within the shell is the secret of its power by dint of that emptiness in itself the creature quietly and easily clings to the wall or to the rock so making all the strength of the wall or the rock its own by its emptiness it is held fast the moment it becomes full it drops off Ah, it is the self-emptiness of a humble, trusting soul that makes the Redeemer's strength his own and so keeps him safe in this evil world. The imagery there of that mollusk being so empty, that's why it's able to cling to the rock. But the moment it gets full of itself, it, it falls off. To me, I thought that was just a perfect example of what you're saying right there. The poor in spirit, emptied of self, to be full of God, power perfected in weakness. I, I wrote this down from A.T. Pearson. He said that the, the wording that Paul uses here for the power of Christ, 
Christ dwells in me. As a matter of fact, it's not just him. I also read it in uh, another commentary as well. So several commentators believe this to be true, that what he's referencing is, uh, I'll read directly, the pitching of a tent to dwell upon him. It suggests the thought that the might of Christ was to him as the Shekinah cloud of glory encompassing him and protecting him. So he's saying that when he says the power of Christ dwells in me, he's referencing an Old Testament understanding of the Shekinah covering, which I thought was glorious. Wow. That Shekinah powerful presence is tapped into with weakness. My power is perfected in weakness. The, the, the power of Christ dwells in me. <laughs> I thought that was powerful. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Do you think it's, it's safe to say too here when it, he implores of the Lord and the Lord, it says, he said to me, do you think that this is one of the points in scripture that we can point to and say, God speaks directly to men? Oh yeah, certainly. Absolutely. And then he, God gives to him of his riches. He, he says, my grace. I, I remember reading, uh, John Wesley said, this is a tender repulse, a tender repulse. Cause he says, take away the thorn. But the Lord says, my grace, it's a tender repulse. Now I got something so much better than the removal of the thorn. I have a revelation of my all sufficiency for you, <laughs> which is, which is beautiful. Yeah. It reminds me as well of Jesus' statement in, in John 15, that if we don't bear fruit, um, the Father cuts us out of the vine. But if we do, he prunes us so that we would bear more fruit. Paul is fruitful. Paul, is a, he's a fruitful man. And he's, he, he beheld the Lord in such glory. The Lord is pruning him. He's applying the knife of suffering and pruning him in order to produce in him greater dependency. So that the so that the work of grace can have its way, it's interesting that it's dependency that allows grace to flow freely. Mm. Grace is constricted by by the the fingerprints of man, wow. and uh, <laughs> the Lord is teaching him yielding through the suffering. I yeah. mean, when we when we face hardship, it's it's normal to human nature. When we face hardship in different ways, we're, we're driven to our knees. We're, we're driven to, Lord, I need you. I, I yeah. need you in this moment. I think that's why it's even sometimes when people face suffering, that's, that's, that they face even that the devil himself brings on. They might not, they might not have the, the, the understanding that certain things we, you know, we, we, we pray against or whatever the case may be for healing or other things, but sometimes their testimony is, but in that moment, I met the Lord so deeply. That's why they may even hold the theological perspective because when we are broken through suffering, we encounter the Lord deeply through dependency. And so it's, uh, oh. yeah. Breaking not only lets out what's inside, but gets what's outside in. So it's like, sometimes God can't fill that part of your heart until it's, until it's broken in a sense. And I think sometimes it's the hard shell of pride and arrogance and self-consciousness and selfishness, self-centeredness. These are the outer shells that God has to continually yeah. break in order to have the access to that area. But the, the transformation in Paul that he shows us in this is insane. He says, I want the thorn removed. Then God speaks to him. And right after God speaks to him, he's, he's saying words like, I most gladly 
<laughs> will suffer. And then he says, I'm well, he doesn't just say I'm content. He says, I'm well content. Literally, I'm more than happy to have weakness in my life. It shifted his whole understanding, a value system. Ellicott writes that he not only now found comfort, but delight in his situation. The Amplified Bible shows us that what was pain now became a pleasure. What was a test now became a treasure because wow. of his shift in the way that he saw God's value system and what was taking place in him. God's voice brought the grace into him. And this was a revelation of God's all sufficiency, the power of Christ within me. To me, this is just, it's needed in my life more and more. I need more of an increasing sense of my weakness because I want a greater experience of internal power, power over my own mind, power over my body, power over my heart, power over earthly situations, power of self-control, these, these types of things, a deeper yeah. sense of weakness for a greater experience of God's power. You know, the, the old theologian beat, he says that the power of Christ is to do, to dare, to suffer. The power of Christ manifests to the full, it's irresistible energy and uh, affirms its highest results by performing works of power with powerless instruments, powerless instruments. I thought that was just, just incredible the way that he, he put that. Yeah, no, that's beautiful. It's a, it's a, it's a beautiful theology of suffering. I think that, that should be by all Jesus exalting believers held in tension. Of course we don't, I know yourself, like, like, like myself, we pray for healing. We believe in healing for the sick, but that, that doesn't mean that there's not a real theology of suffering that is clearly presented to us in the scriptures. And so we, and we see that here at work in Paul. And it's interesting that the goal, like, like you mentioned earlier, the, the climactic goal of this is so that he himself would not be conceited. He, he has brought low, like we see the, the pattern, we see the divine pattern in Philippians chapter two. Christ suffers and he goes to the lowest place. Mm -hmm. Crucifixion unto death, obedient unto the point of death so that his name would be exalted to the highest place. Mm -hmm. And so we see this Paul is taken in revelation in the highest place. He must be anchored and rooted in the humility, in the lowest, in humility, in the powers of the grace, the graces and the, and the character and the, and the beauty of God in the lowest place. <laughs> and so it's, it's what he's after. The Lord is after the formation of his beauty in his people. And the reason this was so important in Paul's specific life and ministry was because we become bearers of the message that we preach. It's, 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 it wasn't just enough for Paul to parrot some doctrinal statements about Christ and see a few miracles, <laughs> but remain unchanged by the one of whom he speaks. Mm -hmm. The Lord was jealous to make him a sign and a wonder and a pistol read and known by men. <laughs> and so that's, that's the beauty of it. It's, it's what God is speaking to to form in us the very character of Jesus, yeah. humility, the beauty of humility. Yeah. I wonder if the power of Christ in us needs to go to a whole new level of value because the value that Paul had on the internal power of Christ made him gladly 
have these things and be well content with a life of them. To, to even stop asking for the removal of the thorn because of a great value for God in me, the experience of God, the person of God on the inside of me is well worth suffering, well worth weakness, well worth distresses and difficulties uh, of all kinds. I wonder if that is one of the major issues. We have such a low value of the power of Christ and the experience of Christ that can be internally experienced. So we shun suffering because suffering is greater to us than the understanding and experience of the man Christ Jesus on the inside. But if our, our value of Christ being experienced on the inside, maybe we would say, oh, I gladly suffer. I, I'm well content now with this thorn that lets out the blood of pride that keeps me low before him because I find in it the man, Christ Jesus, and his the experience of his all-sufficiency. I get to taste of the riches of the all-sufficiency of Christ. And that to me is more valuable than any uh, earthly uh, suffering that may come upon me because of, of Christ. You remember the disciples left in Acts chapter 4 from the Sanhedrin? And the, and the scripture says that they were rejoicing. They were rejoicing because they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. That is the ultimate disposition of loving God more than ourselves, loving Christ more than us, more than our own image, the way that we're seeing. I mean, shame is a degradation of who you are. And they're like, I'm so happy that they degraded me because I have such a great value for his name. It's just a, it's, it's a mentality that is so far from what you're saying, the other apostles who exalt their names the apostles, the real apostles are rejoicing that their names are dragged through the mud because they value so much the name of the Lord, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And how desperately we need the grace of God, how desperately we need. Paul recognizes his desperate need for the work of the spirit. I think that's something else that this, that this passage really provokes is, is, uh, an understanding of how badly we need the grace of God to work inside of us, the mm -hmm. fruit of the spirit, the power of his nature, the power of his will apart from we, I pray that this would be in, like imprinted on our, on our consciousness apart from me, you mm -hmm. can do nothing. Right. Like, and even in light with what you were saying, like I think about Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, who actually the Lord calls, in the prophets, the servant of the Lord, meaning the Lord raised him up to fulfill. A, he wasn't a follower of the one true God. I mean, he was later on in his life, but early on. But nonetheless, he was a chisel in the hand of God, mm. right? He was he was a tool in the hand of God that God was using to still advance by what he was, the permissive will of God, to still advance his purposes in 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 dealing with his with his people with his children but it's interesting that nebuchadnezzar becomes a consumed and obsessed with himself right he builds a statue to himself he beholds himself and and then he has a dream and the lord humbles him he's of course daniel interprets the dream but he the the outworking of self-obsession is insanity 
because he loses his mind and he mm -hmm. starts to for seven years he becomes like a beast of the field he's eating with the animals in the field and it says when he came to his senses he says and when i looked up to heaven mm -hmm. i recognized that god is all right he recognized that it, that it's it's his kingdom it's his glory it's his grace it's when he looked to heaven that sanity was restored mm -hmm. It's insanity to behold. We, we are driven to insanity when we take our eyes off of the glory of the, of, of the, of, of the Christ and we set them upon ourselves. And this is in essence what Paul, what, what Paul is, is uh, doing. P Paul is saying through the sufferings and the pressures that have been allotted to me, I am consistently brought back to the place where I have nowhere else to go. Oh God, I want you and you alone. Mm -hmm. I need you and you alone. Weakness and dependency and what it produces in us. That's beautiful. I read Fee, Gordon Fee on this, these verses and it's perfect right where you brought us. Fee writes, the thorn puts the ultimate focus where it belongs on Christ himself. <laughs> that the thorn put the focus where it needed to be all along, Jesus. And this is what Paul is recognizing, that the thorn brought him to the point of saying, Christ is my only power. Christ is the one who's exalted. I am weak. He is strong. Or my strength is only through his strength as I'm, as I'm weak. So again, the thorn put the ultimate focus where it belonged on Christ himself. <laughs> That's beautiful, isn't it? What a, what yeah, a passage is. of scripture. It's glorious. Well, you want to pray for us? Pray for the people, pray for me. <laughs> yeah, no, all of us, for every one of us in Jesus name. Lord, how deeply we need you. How desperately and deeply we need you. Lord, we say today in the name of Jesus that we need your grace and the work, the outworking of your power in our lives. Lord, give us eyes to see things through the perspective of heaven. And Lord, whatever hardships we may face, whatever difficulties, insults, trials that we may face, let them drive us back to the place of the deep experience of your love, the beholding of your word, just like Mary beheld when she sat at your feet, every word that came out of your mouth, that we may behold the crucified, the resurrected, the ascended Lord, mm -hmm. and that you would work inside of our hearts and through our lives, that same work of grace, that same power of the kingdom of God, in us and through us here in our world and in our lifetime. Amen. 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 Thank you guys so much for joining us. Uh, if you want to support Dave Papavici's missions organization in the Middle East, go to kgmiq.org. Send them a, a gift as they're spreading the gospel and building the church there in a, in a, in a, in a difficult situation. So God bless you guys.